But we're going to be in two portions of Scripture together today. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to start off at the very beginning. If you want to turn with me to the book of Genesis, and we're going to be in chapter 2 this morning, and we're going to look at verses 15 to 17 together to start with. Genesis 2, 15 to 17, which says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then if you want to turn with me to the book of Matthew, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Matthew 4 verses 1 to 11. And this is what it says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into breads. Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the highest mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And the angels came and attended him. Today we launch a new sermon series, and in doing so, we take a leaf out of Jesus' book in Luke chapter 9, where we read that Jesus resolutely sets his face towards Jerusalem. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he becomes totally focused on the very reason that he came to earth. He becomes totally focused on the fact that ultimately he is there to go to the cross. And over the course of the next few Sundays leading up to Easter, we're going to be focusing together on that too. As we travel through this Lent season together, often when we think of Lent, we think of giving things up, don't we? And we think maybe of giving up superficial things. This Lent, I'm going to give up chocolate or I'm going to give up alcohol. And we do that primarily, hopefully not just to benefit our waistlines, but we give things up primarily that we fill that time that we give those things up with focusing on God in our life rather than anything else. It's a way that we choose to show over this period that we are dependent on God in our life and he is our number one. But when it comes to those things, those superficial things, often we'll give them up for a very short amount of time and then 40 days later, we pick them back up again as if 
They were always there. But the question that I want us to ask at this Lent season, as we start this time together leading up to Easter, is what if we don't give up things which are simply superficial? What if this Lent season, we as individuals and as a church make a choice to give things up that we won't take up again? That we choose to lay things down in our life that really shouldn't have been there in the first place, and ultimately in the process we become more like Jesus as a result. So over the course of this time together, as we go through this season together over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about things like what it means to give up control, what it means to give up expectations, what it means to give up superiority, what it means to give up enemies, what it means to give up our life, what it means to give up popularity, and what it ultimately means to give up death. And my prayer for us as a church, going through this together, is that we will become closer to Jesus than ever before, and we'll see his transformational power at work in our life more than we ever have up until this point. And with that in mind, I want to take us back to the very beginning here at the start today. And we've heard, read in our Genesis account this morning, that at the beginning, God spoke to his people. And God gave them a command, but before that, what we see in the book of Genesis is that God spoke and the world came into being. With just a word, God brought everything into being. Indescribable as we sung together this morning, this holy, this awesome, this majestic God, with just the power of his words, created the entire world. From nothing came something. Everything was created. And then on the sixth day, the pinnacle of God's creation was formed. God created humanity. God created us so that we could have a relationship with him, that a relationship would exist between the creator and the created. And when we look at this story, first and foremost, the thing that we must realize as we open it up is that this is a story about God, who he is his nature, his character, the very being of him. But the temptation when we look at this story is to look at this story and make it a story which is ultimately about us. And in effect, that's what Adam and Eve do. God places them in this garden to tend it and to keep it. They're surrounded by pure and good things. This is a perfect environment. They have the ability to have a perfect relationship with a perfect God. But there's one restriction, as we have heard. Adam, you can have anything in this garden, anything you want, absolutely anything. But there's one thing, Adam, I need you to stay clear of. You see that tree? That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat off that tree... There will be consequences, Adam, and you will die. And we know how the account goes, don't we? The serpent comes along and he asks Eve a question. Did God really say that if you eat off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you will die? Is that really what he said? Don't listen to that. If you eat off that tree, you will not die you'll become like God's. That's why he doesn't want you to eat off of it. Because if you eat off that tree, you'll know everything. 
and you'll be able to tell everything. This is a good thing, Eve, if you eat off this tree. So they do. They take a bite from the fruit of that tree, and suddenly everything which is around them doesn't seem so good anymore. They realize that they're naked, and they're ashamed. Even a relationship with God and His presence doesn't seem so good anymore to them. They become afraid and they hide from God. Do you see what happens? Even though they're surrounded by everything which is good, the serpent tempts them and he tricks them into believing that ultimately they're missing out on something. Adam and Eve willingly and willfully choose to turn their back on all of the good things that God has given them and a relationship with this awesome creator, God. Essentially, what we realize when we read this story is that this is a story about trust and control. The serpent convinces Adam and Eve that God's ultimately can't be trusted and is actually holding back from them the really, really good stuff for their lives. And by attempting to define those things and to hold on to those things, they spoil their relationship ultimately which exists between them and God's. And eating of that tree that God told them not to, they attempt to play the role of creator in their life because they believe they no longer can trust the creator for themselves. And what that teaches us is that in many respects, the idea of trust is at the root of control. When trust is diminished, we feel like we have to take situations into our own hands. When trust is diminished, we feel like we have to strive to make our own path straight. We see it in other parts of Scripture too, don't we? We could look at the story of Abraham together, for example, this morning. If you know the story of Abraham, what you'll realize is that the story of Abraham, in many respects, is a wonderful account about how we should trust God. In fact, one part of Scripture says about Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But there were times where he didn't trust God. If you know the story, you will remember, no doubt, that Abraham and his wife were promised a child. But there was a problem. They were really old and they hadn't been able to conceive up until this point. So they hear the promise of God and they say, well, I don't quite believe the promise of God. I don't quite trust the promise of God. We need to take this into our own hands and make sure this happens. So what happens? Abraham ends up sleeping with his maidservant and has a child with his maidservant rather than trusting in the promise that God was going to bring about this child. When trust doesn't exist, Our desire to control ultimately increases. But we were never meant to carry the burden of control in our life. Our role has always been to walk under the shelter of the Almighty, allowing Him to set the course and the direction of our lives. And this morning, when we look at the story of Adam and Eve, it paints a bleak picture for us. They had it all. They lost their trust in God because they were deceived by the devil. They went a different way and they lost everything. The picture's bleak, 
But what we see in the account of Jesus this morning, as we open up the New Testament scripture that we've heard, is that there is another way for each and every one of us. You see, before Jesus took up the cross, he was led by the Spirit into the desert, a dry and a parched place of denial, where food and water is scarce, a place where the sun beats down and everything feels a little bit obscure and uncertain. And as Matthew tells it, Jesus was hungry. He was famished, actually. At the end of 40 days in the wilderness, his baptism must have seemed like a distant memory to him. There was no dove descending at this point. There was no voice from heaven which said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. No, this was a moment of vulnerability for Jesus and the tempter sees our opening and he does exactly what he does with Adam and Eve. And he offers Jesus three temptations. Turn these stones into bread to satisfy your hunger. Prove that you are the son of God by jumping off this building. Take control over all the kingdoms of the world by worshipping me. All three temptations which are put before Jesus are tempting him to shift his confidence and his trust in Almighty God and place them somewhere else. Ultimately, in security, in satisfaction, in status and in strength. These were designed to make Jesus seize control of his own situation rather than trusting in his heavenly Father. Do you see it? It's the same thing that Adam and Eve were tempted with in the Garden of Eden. Shift your trust away from God. Trust in your own ability, your ways, your impulses, your own strength. They're the things that you can really rely on. They're the things that you can really trust. So take control of your own destiny. If Adam and Eve were tempted by these things, if Jesus was tempted by these things, then we can be sure that the enemy will try to tempt us in exactly the same way here and now, to abandon our trust in God and to seize control of our own situation. Remember, Adam and Eve had an advantage over us. When they fell and when they were tempted, they were perfect, living in perfect conditions, yet they still chose to go their own way. So us, living in an imperfect world, in imperfect conditions, with imperfect thoughts, feelings, and emotions, we are even more susceptible to the enemy's schemes. I think, in fact, all of the things in my life which I look at, where I am tempted to seize control of, are really, really vulnerable points for me. I want financial security so I can constantly obsess about how much money I have in my bank account. I want my family to be okay, so I'm constantly making plans to make sure that that is the case. I want my health to be relatively good, so most of the time, at least, I try to put plans in place to make sure that that is actually true. And none of those things on their own are intrinsically wrong or bad. But when we start to ultimately put our trust in our own abilities, rather than a God who says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, 
Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Then, eventually, it leads us down a path where we become controlling, and we ultimately don't want to be. So what is it for you, I wonder? What are the things in your life right now that you are holding on to so tightly? What are the things in your life right now that you are trusting in your own ability to make those situations right and to make those situations clear rather than leaning on him? Because what Jesus encountered in the wilderness teaches us is that Jesus, as the Son of God, is the one who fulfills the things that Adam ultimately could not do. You see, Adam failed in the best conditions. Jesus succeeded in the worst conditions. So what is the difference? One failed to trust God, and he seized control. One had complete trust in God, and therefore didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped but he made himself of no reputation and he took on the form of a servant. Jesus says to us, I have come to give you life and life in all its fullness. So the question this morning is this, if that is the case, if Jesus is the one who genuinely offers fullness of life to us, how can we give up this need to be in control of things and totally trust in him. Well, first and foremost this morning, I want to suggest that just like with any relationship, trust comes from a depth of relationship. The simple fact is you can't trust someone that you don't know. And the more that we get to know God, the more we get to see and we get to understand his perfections, the more we get to see his character and who he is, the more that we realize that he is the creator and we are the creature, that he is not bounded by time and he will never cease to exist. The more we get to know him, we realize that he is not dependent on anything or anyone for his existence. The more we get to know him, we realize that he is present in all situations and in all circumstances, that he is all-knowing, and he is all-powerful, the more we get to know him, we realize that nothing can thwart his will. The more we get to know him, we realize that nothing happens that he does not ordain, that nothing catches him by surprise, that he knows the end from the beginning, that he is sovereign over all, and that we can have full assurance as a result of that, that when we put our trust in him, we are in safe hands. In addition to that, the more we get to know him, the more we realize that the Bible tells us that God is love. That's not something that he does. That is who he is. He loves his creation. He cares for it in so many ways. But you know what? He has a special love for his people. And that love of God will never let us go. It will never let us down. And we can always rely on it. So question this morning is, do you know him for yourself? Have you got a relationship with him? How deep is that relationship that you have with him? Is that a Sunday we'll get together and we'll say hi once a week? Or do you know him truly and utterly for yourself? Because that is where trust is made. Secondly, we can trust God because we can look at the actions of God 
and see that he is trustworthy. Coming back to our account this morning in Genesis, when Adam turns his back on God, God doesn't abandon the world. Rather, he puts a plan in place to redeem the lost children of Adam. Paul speaks about believers being chosen before the beginning of time, before the foundation of the world, that we might be a people who are holy and blameless before him. And down through the ages, what we see from Scripture is God works to bring about that plan. And when the fullness of time came, God sends his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as children of God's. We can read about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus in Scripture. We can see what happens next in the book of Acts, that he ascends into heaven, and we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We can see the growth and the expansion of the early church. We can see that God's saving work still continues today and will continue to continue until all of his people are saved and that every nation, tribe and tongue are around the throne like we see in the book of Revelation singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's only a snapshot of what God has done and continues to do. But it provides us with an anchor and gives us a reason to trust God when it looks a little bit shaky in the world around us. You know, I can look at my own life and I can look at many times where I've seen God move powerfully. How he's provided for me in my times of need. How when I face the most difficult situations and circumstances, he has been there by my side. The reality is, looking back on God's faithfulness, seeing his actions in the past, gives us hope and a springboard to trust him today. It teaches us that the simple fact is that we don't need to take control of situations for ourselves, but we can look at the evidence of God's actions to realize that he will make our paths straight. But what happens when it doesn't feel quite that easy? What happens when trust feels hard and the temptation to seize control feels too much to bear? There's an account in the life of Jesus, I believe, which helps us to understand. There's a little boy we read about who has a mute spirit. He's been that way since birth, and his father is distraught. He looks at his child and the suffering that he faces, and he thinks, something needs to happen. I need to do something about my boy's health. So he comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, if there's anything you can do, then please do it. And Jesus replies, if there's anything I can do, anything is possible to him who believes. And then the man turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, sometimes the pull to simply take things into our own hands and try to figure out situations and circumstances and make things right on our own feels like it's too much. The, temp the temptation to trust in our own abilities and take control often seems like the easier option. And when we find ourselves in these positions, we need to do exactly the same as this father. To come to God in our weakness, 
and simply cry out, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, the best way to beat control in our life is to confess it. To come to God and simply say, this is me. And this is where I am at. Jesus goes into the desert because in many respects, he finds us all there. Temptation is an area of life that we all face. And like Adam and like Jesus, we have a choice to make. Jesus shows us the true way because he knows the path of redemption isn't about satisfying our physical hunger but he does go and feed thousands on the shores of Galilee so that they might come into a deeper understanding of the mercy of God. He doesn't throw himself off the heights of the temple to prove who he is, but he does overturn tables of the money changers in the temple who failed to make his father's house a place of welcome for everyone. He doesn't take up the offer of a throne but it does take up the cross. And it's there, on the cross, where Jesus faces his final temptation. If you truly are the Son of God, come down from that cross. But Jesus remembers his commitment in the desert. And he prays, Father, into your hands... I commit my spirit. So what about you? In what areas of your life are you holding on to so tightly right now? In what areas of your life are you seizing to take control rather than trusting a God who says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope? What areas of your life are you failing to trust God in? And like that man with the son who had a mute spirit, you need to cry out today, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. As we start this Lent series together, maybe you've been thinking about all kinds of things that you should give up this Lent And maybe some of those things are good and you need to lay them down for a season. But this year, this Lent season, let's be a church which is committed to giving things up which will last for eternity. Let's be a church which is committed to giving things up, not simply to improve our waistline, but to also improve our character and make us more Christ-like. Because ultimately... At the end of the day, when all is said and done, that's all that really matters. For some here today, that might feel like a really hard concept. You've been holding on to control for a long time. You've tried to work things out in your own strength for a long time. And as a result, you feel tired, you feel stressed, you feel worn out and weary. Today, The call of Jesus is to stop striving and come to him. As he says, come to me all who are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm going to invite the band to come back up.